as you come in, just say hello. And um, let me know you're here and that you can hear everything okay. You know, uh, doing all this recording is uh, quite challenging because a lot of technology um, involved. Um, I'm testing several different ways of doing it, but um, the easiest way seems to be the best way. So, um, especially if you, you're going to do live. So, uh, that's what I've been doing. So, um, anyway, just, uh, let me know as you come in, say hello. There's Scott. Good morning, Scott. How you doing today, brother? How's life in, uh, South Carolina doing? been doing um, is um, happy Palm Sunday brother what we've been doing is working our way through the book of Acts and I was all ready to go and then I saw something the other day that reminded me that it is Palm Sunday um, uh, the day that our Lord uh, entered into uh, entered into Jerusalem so I thought we'd just take a little while I know I'm already in the book of Daniel on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock. Um, but I figured, uh, we can skip ahead because you can't do Palm Sunday without looking at the book of Daniel. But today what we're going to do is we're going to start in Zechariah chapter nine, verse number nine. And then we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 21, uh, verses one through nine. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles or your, your advice to Zechariah nine, nine and Matthew chapter number 21. And uh, we'll get started. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 9 is one of the Old Testament prophecies that foretells um, the, the coming of the king of the Messiah into Jerusalem upon the donkey. And in, Matthew, in Zechariah chapter 9 verse number 9 it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So in the Old Testament, it looked forward to uh, the Messiah coming, riding uh, on, on a donkey. Um, and of course, that prophecy was fulfilled in Matthew chapter number 21. So in Matthew chapter number uh, 21, verses 1 through 9, uh, Matthew 21, 1 through 9, uh, this is what, what it says. Matthew 21, 1 through 9. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. 
And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath needed them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. So he's referring back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a great multitude spread their garments in the way, others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way, and the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. So this is what we call the triumphal entry. This is Palm Sunday. Um, so today we celebrate this day, which commemorates this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, at which time the people placed the palm branches in the path. But the following Thursday, they arrested him. And the following Friday uh, was supposed to have been the crucifixion or what we call Good Friday, thus marking what we call Holy Week. So this is Holy Week. This is um, the end of Lent on the Orthodox calendar and the beginning of Holy Week. Um, but, however, this was not only prophesied in the book of Zechariah, it was also spoken of by an old, another Old Testament prophet by the name of Daniel, who we are studying on Wednesday nights. So what I want to do today is I want to go back to the book of Daniel and I want to look at this event and how it was prophesied so many years before and when it would happen. So in Daniel chapter number 9, now last Wednesday night we started out in Daniel chapter number 1 verses 1 through 5. So we're going to be working our way through Daniel. So today I'm going to uh, just get ahead of ourselves just a little bit so that we can commemorate or celebrate Palm Sunday, which is today. Again, this marks the beginning of Holy Week. It started with the triumphal entry on that Sunday. Uh, it ended up with his arrest that Thursday and then his crucifixion that Friday. Um, and then, of course, resurrection. That is the very next thing that we will be celebrating the following sun, next Sunday would be the resurrection. So this is Holy Week. So in Daniel chapter number nine, if you have your Bible, just go ahead and look over there. A little bit of a funny story. When I was young, um, you know, the Schofield Bible has been out since 1909. Um, but when I was young, our pastor, uh, when, um, he would tell us to open up our Bibles, and even in Bible college, the professors where I went, uh, it was just assumed that everyone had the same Bible, which I can tell you as a teacher, um, that's why we prescribe textbooks to our students. Uh, we don't let them bring just any old textbook. We don't let them bring just any old edition of the textbook. We want them all to be looking at the same thing. 
So we were all looking at the same thing. We were all looking at the original Schofield Bible. And many times the professors would not say, open your Bible to Daniel 9. They'd say, open your Bible to page 913. <laughs> because they all knew we were looking at the same Bible, uh, the, uh, the same reference Bible. And there's something to be said for that. There's a lot of confusion uh, in the church today in regards to all the different translations, all the different study Bibles. There's something to be said when we're all looking at the same thing, just to be able to maneuver and navigate our, our way around uh, without confusion. But anyway, um, <clears throat> and I still use that Bible to this day. I, if you're looking for a good uh, reference Bible, I, I really highly uh, recommend it. Uh, like any, uh, which the Schofield's not really a study Bible, it's a reference Bible, uh, but people refer to it as a study Bible. But just make sure you're reading it from the top down and not the bottom up, which is what a lot of people do today. They buy something, they read the notes first, and then they read the text. No, read the text. Uh, the text, uh, the, the notes should illuminate the text, not the other way around. So, uh, but anyway, Daniel chapter number 9, verse number 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So we see here that the first year, he says that it is in the first year of Darius. We know that historically the first year of Darius was 538 B.C. And then we also see that Daniel had apparently he was apparently a student of scripture because he says in the first year of his reign i daniel understood by the books the number of the years whereof the lord came to jerusalem the prophet or to came to jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of jerusalem now the fact that uh, daniel does mention books in the plural here means that he was, I believe he was obviously looking at the prophet Jeremiah, but he may have been looking at something else. He may have been looking at some some historical data. When did Nebuchadnezzar go down and, you know, conquer Jerusalem? You know, what date? And we'll look at that. So he was obviously looking at a couple of different things here, but he was obviously studying and he was drawn to the book of Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah chapter number 25 is apparently what Daniel was looking at because in, in Jeremiah chapter number 25 in verse number 11 it says and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years good morning Judy so obviously Daniel when he says I understood by the books he was certainly looking at Jeremiah and Jeremiah said that they would serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And then in verse number 12 of Jeremiah chapter 25, it says, And it shall come to pass when the 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So Daniel, being a student of, 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 of the Bible, understood by the various parchments or books or whatever he was looking at, the historical timelines of when Nebuchadnezzar did what he did, uh, and the, the, the book of Jeremiah, he understood 
by the books the number of the years where by the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah that he was about to accomplish these 70 years. So he was obviously, he may have also been looking over at Jeremiah chapter number 29. In Jeremiah chapter number 29 and verse number 10, it says, For thus saith the Lord that after the 70 years are accomplished, I will visit you and I will perform my good word towards you in causing you to return this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now, a lot of times we hear people quote that verse today and of course they're quoting it out of context. He's talking about the children of Israel who'd been carried away into Babylon in what's called the Babylonian captivity. And the Lord is reminding them that my thoughts that I think toward you, I think thoughts of peace, not of evil. So in the interpretation, it's speaking to the nation of Israel. Can application be made after the interpretation? Yes, but not before. It needs to be interpreted proper, properly and in the context before you can make the right application. Sure, God thinks good thoughts toward us, um, but this verse is speaking specifically of the nation of Israel. Now, of course, <clears throat> we can infer from these passages that Daniel had obviously done a little bit of math in his head. Because um, history tells us that Israel had been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar in 605 BC. Uh, which means they had been in captivity now, at the writing of this, 67 years. Now, that might have been where Daniel was looking at the books. I mean, he had Jeremiah open. He was looking at a historical timeline. He's doing the math in his head, 605 B.C. would have been in captivity now with Babylon for 67 years. So Daniel understood prophetically that apparently their captivity was about to end. Okay, so when he says in the first year of, his, of the reign... I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years where the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. Obviously, he was looking at Jeremiah 25, Jer Jeremiah chapter number 29, th that he would accomplish 70 years, that we would remain in captivity for 70 years. Now, you know, what amazes me and I, uh, is that Daniel just opened up his Bible and he read Jeremiah chapters 25 chapter 29, and he believed it. I don't understand today why so many people struggle with a literal interpretation of the Bible. Um, Daniel didn't try to spiritualize it. He just read it, and he literally interpreted it. If we went into captivity in this year, and I do the math, we've been here 67 years, 8, 9, 10. We've got three more years, and we're out. That's a literal interpretation of the scripture. So I don't understand why, I, 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 think, I think this is why I think we tend to spiritualize things. Um, when we can't find or understand the meaning, we spiritualize it uh, so that we can. Uh, that to me is arrogance. I mean, I'm perfectly comfortable with not knowing. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things in the Bible that I just do not know. And I'm not going to spiritualize it and make it say something else just to, so that I can feel good about myself. There's a lot of things in the Bible, to be honest with you, 
as I grow older, the more things I find that I don't understand. Matter of fact, there's things that I don't understand today that I thought I understood yesterday. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm going to resist the temptation to start spiritualizing it to make me feel good about myself. We need to read the Bible where God puts periods. We do not need to be putting question marks. Um, so I'm perfectly content to not understand until I do understand. And I think our knowledge is cumulative, uh, even when it, especially when it comes to the Bible. But any type of learning is cumulative. I mean, you take that little kindergartner and you send them to school and, you know, they learn how to stick their little backpacks in the cubby hole and they learn how to play and get along with other people. <laughs> then they go into first grade and, you know, again, it's cumulative. They begin to learn upon learn upon learn. You know, that's how we learn. That's how we grow. Well, the same thing with the Bible. When you open it up initially, there's a lot of things that you don't understand. But as I begin to understand this part, it starts to illuminate this part, and then it starts to making sense. Um, so we need to resist the temptation to spiritualize things that we do not understand. Just take it literally. So the question that that brings us to is why 70 years? I mean, he understood by looking at Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29 that it would be 70 years that they would be in captivity. Well, the number seems to be pretty random, but it's not. Um, for example, this was actually a punishment that God had placed upon the children of Israel because they did not obey him. And when they first came into the land, into the promised land, after they had crossed the Jordan and they came into the land and the land was divided, the Lord gave commandments unto the people. In Leviticus chapter number 25, this is the Lord speaking unto Moses. You know, even before they were getting ready to cross, he wanted to prepare them. Of course, Moses didn't get to take them across, but he was preparing them. When you get into the land, this is what he says. Six years, I want you to sow your field. Six years, I want you to prune your vineyard. I want you to gather the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year, that year shall be a Sabbath of rest to the land. So this Sabbath of rest was not to them necessarily, but it was to the land. They had their every six, every seven days was a Sabbath of rest unto them. But now he wanted another Sabbath of rest every seven years. I want you to stop. I don't want you to till the land. I don't want you to work the land. I don't want you to prune the vineyards. And he says, that which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest, don't even go out in the field and pick it. Don't even reap it. Don't gather any of the grapes. For it is a year of rest unto the land, and the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, and for thee, and for thy servant, and for thy maid, and for thy hired servant, for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee, and for thy cattle, and for the beasts that are in the land, shall all the increase thereof be meat. So I don't want you to work the land. Just trust me, I'm going to take care of you, but don't work the land. And he goes on in Leviticus chapter 25, verse number 20. And if ye shall say, well, what are we going to eat in the Sabbath year? I mean, if we're not going to plant and we're not going to prune and we're not going to reap, what are we going to eat in the Sabbath year? He says in verse 20, and if ye shall say then, see the Lord uh, <clears throat> knows they're going to question it. 
it shall bring forth fruit for three years. Okay? And ye shall sow the eighth year and eat yet the old fruit until the ninth year, until her fruits come in, ye shall eat of the old store. In other words, if you'll just trust me, let the land lie <clears throat> restful during the seventh year, I will give you enough in the previous six years that you'll be able to eat from that all the way up even into the ninth year. So again, this was a testing for the people of Israel. Just trust me, let the land lie fallow, and I, excuse me, I will give you enough from the previous years that you'll be able to eat the seventh year, the eighth year, and even into the ninth year, you'll still be eating from what you had sown. So the Lord is, it's testing. I want you to let the land rest. Now we know, you know, I pastored down in South Texas among a lot of cotton farmers, especially in corn and milo and sorghum. And um, those farmers would tell you that there's another reason why you have to allow the land to rest. Because if you continue to 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 sow and to, to reap and to sow and to reap, you're pulling the, the nutrients out of the land and your your crop is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. So the Lord, there was a spiritual reason for this and there was a practical reason for this. He wanted them to trust him bottom line. Okay, so back to the question, 70 years, we'll do the math. I mean, he says you're going to be drawn away for 70 years so that means that for them to arrive at the number of 70 they had to have been in the land at least 490 years 490 divided by 7 equals what 70 so in their 490th year he tells them good morning sylvia he tells them i'm you owe me 70 years you did not allow the land to rest like i asked you to so you owe me 70. So he had them carried away by King Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon because they did not obey. That is why, that is, uh, why it says in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter number 36, verse 20, And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became, became servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. As long as she lay desolate, she kept her Sabbath to fulfill the 70 years. So they were carried away into captivity for 70 years because they did not allow the land to rest for 490 years. From the time they crossed the River Jordan into the Promised Land, settled it until the time that King Nebuchadnezzar carried them away in 605 into captivity. Now, now that we've uh, given the interpretation, there is an application to be made there. Um, and the application is that we need to trust God. God knows what he's doing. God knew when he told the children of Israel that the land needed to rest. He knew that they needed to rest. And the same thing, God's expectation for you and I is that we trust him. When we do, he blesses. When we don't, he doesn't. <laughs> but we need to trust the Lord. And the children of Israel obviously had not trusted the Lord and they had brought this captivity upon themselves. 
and were disobedient to the clear word of God. And Daniel understood that. In verse number three, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So as such, now Daniel knows the story. He's done the math. He knows 70 years are almost completed. And he begins to seek the Lord on behalf of his nation. Now in the previous chapters, God had already told Daniel what was going to happen to the Gentile nations. You know, he he talked about the rise you know, of the Gentiles and what he was going to do with them. And now in Daniel chapter number nine, Daniel says, well, what about us? What about the nation of Israel? Okay. So now the attention is going to be turned to the nation of Israel and God's future prophetic plan for the nation of Israel. Once they get out of this captivity. And again, they had been there 67 years at the time of this writing. And Daniel knew that the time was close that they were going to be released uh, to go back into their land. And Daniel starts, Daniel goes into this prayer, uh, interceding, if you will, on behalf of the nation of Israel. And in verse number four, and I prayed unto the Lord my God, and I made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keep the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Obviously, he's speaking of the nation of Israel, the commandments that God had given to them. We have sinned. We have committed iniquity and have done wickedly. We've rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy time to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteous belongeth unto thee, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of face as it is this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all of Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them. Why? Because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against thee. Okay. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Speaking of Jeremiah, one of many. Yea, all Israel has transgressed thy law, How? By departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us this great evil from under all of the whole heaven hath not been done as it hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all of his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. 
And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and hast gotten thee renowned as it is this day. We have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for thy our sins and for our iniquities, the iniquities of our father Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all nations that are about us. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate, for the Lord's sake. In other words, not for our sake, <laughs> but for for the Lord's sake. O oh my God, incline thine ear here, upon thine open thine ears, and behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name, for we do not present our supplications before thee because of our righteousness, but for thy great mercy. O oh Lord, our Lord, forgive, O oh Lord, hearken and do and defer not for thy own sake. He's not appealing to his own righteousness. He's not appealing to the righteousness of the nation of Israel. He's appealing to the righteousness of God. You know, when we talk about imputed righteousness, imputed righteousness means I am not righteous. Duane is not righteous. The righteousness that I have is the righteousness of God that has been given to me or imputed to me through Christ. So when, you, so when you say, well, I don't feel righteous, well, in and of yourself, you're not righteous. We celebrate our imputed righteousness that was given to us by Christ. And he says, and while I was speaking and praying. So we see here that as Daniel begins to pray, he knows that the 70 years are almost completed. And he said, and as he's praying, in verse, he's confessing the sins of his people he wants to know what God has in store for his people. Daniel is interrupted. His prayer is interrupted. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, see how he identified with his people and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. So Daniel had been in prayer, interceding on behalf of his people. And the angel Gabriel come and interrupted him. The Bible mentions three angels by name. The Bible mentions Gabriel. The Bible mentions Michael. And the Bible mentions Lucifer. Those are the only three angels that we know of in the Bible. Uh, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer, which leads to speculation. Uh, when Lucifer rebelled, he took a third of the angels with him in his rebellion. So, you know, just logical reasoning would dictate probably a third of the angels were under Lucifer's charge. You know, so, and so you know, logical reasoning. Of course, we're not going to start a church on this, but is maybe a third of the angels was under Gabriel's charge and a third of the angels was under Michael's charge. You know, and if you look at the three angels and what they did, Gabriel being the proclamation or messenger angel, Michael being the warring angel, Lucifer being the music or the worship angel, you know, I mean, it, you know, it leads to speculation and maybe that's how the angels in heaven are divided. There's these proclamation angels, these messenger angels that do the bidding of God when sending out messages like Gabriel does. Um, 
and maybe a third of them are <clears throat> in the militia, <laughs> you know, and they follow Michael, and then a third of them were part of the choir, you know, in heaven. So, but again, that's speculation based upon uh, what we see from the scripture. So there's three angels mentioned in heaven. And then in verse 22, and he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I, I have now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the very beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. So now he says that, Daniel, as soon as you open your mouth and begin to pray, he said the commandment went forth. Oh, say, as soon as you open your mouth and begin to pray, at the very beginnings of your supplication, you know, this tells me that God uh, always answers our prayers. Uh, I always, I used to tell my congregation, he either answers it with a yes, he either answers it with a no, or he answers it with a wait. <laughs> uh, but as soon as Daniel began to pray, <clears throat> this uh, Gabriel tells him, as soon as you begin to pray, we were dispatched to take care of this. And he begins to tell them, he says, 70 weeks in verse number 24. So here's the answer to your question, Daniel. Uh, 70 weeks now are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. To and during those 70 weeks, these six things are going to happen. We're going to make an end of sins. We're going to make realist reconciliation for iniquity. We're going to bring in everlasting righteousness. We're going to seal up the vision of, and prophecy. And we're going to anoint the most holy. So here's the answer to Daniel's prayer. <laughs> he had already told Daniel what he was going to do with the Gentile nations through the statues. Um, you know, with the Babylonians and the and the Romans and you know, the Medo-Persian and the Greeks. And, you know, he had already told them what he was going to do with the Gentile nations. Now, this is what I'm going to do with the nation of Israel. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. And during those 70 weeks, this is what I'm going to do. These are the six things that I'm going to do. Now, <clears throat> the, in, your, in our European culture, we think in decades or in tens. In Jewish culture, they think, they think in heptaths. In heptaths, that's H-E-P. Uh, T-A-T-H-S, or in sevens. While we think in tens, they, they think in sevens. He deca decades versus heptads. So what we see here are 70 weeks of seven. How many days are in a week? Seven. So 70 times seven equals 490. So he says 490 uh, years are determined upon your people. And during those 490 years, this is what is going to happen. Transgression is going to be finished. Sin is going to be made an end to. Iniquity is going to be reconciled. Everlasting righteousness is going to come in. All vision and prophecy is going to be sealed up. <clears throat> and the most holy is going to be anointed. This is what's going to happen to your people. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that it's been a heck of a lot more than 490 years since this was told to Daniel. So Daniel's around, writing around 538 B.C. I mean, we have way overshot 490 years. Okay? Because, I mean, just looking at this list, I mean, has <clears throat> willful sin uh, been finished? Or has sin come to an end? Or has reconciliation been, been, been offered? The answer is yes. 
I mean, you and I preach the gospel of what? Reconciliation. You and I preach the gospel of reconciliation. Why? Because we have been reconciled to God. So the first three of these have been fulfilled. They were fulfilled through Christ at his first advent. And that is why you and I go forth and preach the gospel of reconciliation. Now, the last three, I mean, there is no way. This has not happened. I mean, we are not living in a place of everlasting righteousness. Certainly, vision and prophecy has not been sealed. And Lord knows, the most holy, or the most holy place, depending on how you translate that, has not been anointed. None of that has happened. So what happened? Well, apparently, something stopped the clock. Something stopped these 490 years from coming to pass. Um, the first three were fulfilled by Christ at his first advent, and the second three will be fulfilled by Christ at his second advent. So the first three at the first advent, the second three at the second advent. Um, now, for years I preached, I taught, that the clock stop ticking at the crucifixion. Um, I don't believe that anymore. Uh, the clock stopped ticking at the rejection of the kingdom, not the crucifixion. Because the crucifixion was already in the plan of God. The crucifixion, according to Hebrews chapter 9, had to happen before the kingdom could be offered. So I don't think it's accurate to say the clock stopped ticking at the crucifixion. It's, it's more accurate to say the clock stopped ticking when the nation rejected the king and his kingdom as offered by the apostles in Acts chapter number 2. That seems to be subtle, but it's not. It completely changes the way you see it. So the clock stopped ticking. The first three fulfilled at his first advent. The, the second three will be fulfilled at his second advent. Because 400, more than 430, 490 years have passed. Now look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. So here we see, notice that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild the walls, what the Lord is doing here is he's setting the clock. Uh, he's setting the clock as to when the clock would start ticking for these 490 years to commence. And the clock will start ticking, Daniel, when the command has been given to go forth and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now we know historically that this command to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem was given in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter number 2. Now Nehemiah chapter number 2. Um, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, my wine was before him. Okay. Um, now this is Nehemiah. He's still in captivity. The Persians are on the throne. Um, 
that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and I gave it to the king. Now had I had not been before sad in his presence. And then the king said to me, Why is your countenance so fallen? Are you sick? Then I was sore afraid. And I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lies in waste, and the gates of thereof have been consumed with fire? And the king said unto me, What do you want? What kind of request do you make? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant has found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me to Judah unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also said beside him, How long will it take? How long will the journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. So if we look at this prophecy here in Daniel chapter number 9, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, now that happened, in Nehemiah chapter number 2, when King Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah permission to go down and rebuild the wall, this is when this is going to happen, he says. Um, the clock is going to stop, is going to start ticking. So both secular and biblical history tells us that this command came in the year 445 B.C. 445 B.C. is when this commandment came. When Nehemiah was told, go and build the walls of Jerusalem. That's when, that'll be the starting point when this clock, this prophetical clock of 490 years will start ticking. Now, <clears throat> further readings by Sir Rowlandson, which was an archaeologist found in the palace of Shushan, says that the exact date of this event was March 14th. 445 BC. Uh, great book, The King is Coming by Anderson. You know, you can do a lot of research on that. Um, but who also broke down this passage. So here what we have, just to recap, and I know for a lot of folks this is this deep stuff. Um, but Daniel intercedes on behalf of the nation of Israel. He says, what about our people? I know that we've sinned against you. We've done wrong. You know, when it, what are you going to do with us? The angel Gabriel taps him on the shoulder and says, Listen, Daniel, you're great beloved. 490 years are determined for your people. And during those 490 years, this is what God is going to do. Okay, This is what God is going to make happen. As soon as the commandment to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem is given, this 490-year countdown is going to begin. And we know that that 490-year countdown began in Nehemiah chapter number 2 when Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah permission to go down and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Okay, That's the prophecy. That's what's being said. So if that be the case, the prophecy says that from the commandment to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which was in 445 B.C., until Messiah comes, which is 70 weeks and 62 weeks, which is 7 plus 62, which is 69, 
So in 69 of those 70 weeks that are determined for your people, the Messiah is going to come. That's 483 years, which is 7 plus 62 equals 69. And 69 times 7, 483 years. So from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah comes, which is Palm Sunday that you and I are celebrating right now, will be 483 years. So 483 years before Christ came through that gate, it was already prophesied to Daniel exactly when that would happen. And Scott just put up a mathematical equation. Um, if you take those 483 years, now you and I, as of, I think it was 70 BC, use what's called the Julian calendar. We just celebrated leap year, did we not? Every four years, we stick an extra day in the month of July. Why? Because our calendar is not perfect. So we, we operate on what's called a 365 and a quarter day calendar. Okay. We use a Julian calendar, which was introduced by the Romans. But prior to the Romans, we used the Babylonian calendar. That was the calendar that Daniel used. That was the calendar that is in view with this prophecy here. The Babylonian calendar is 360 days. Okay. So if you keep that in mind, now if you take uh, 483 years, okay, and you multiply those 483 years, which are made up of 360 days apiece, you would arrive at 173,880 days. So in other words, the prophecy is from the going forth of the commandment, which was on March 14th, 445 BC, 173,880 days in the future, the Messiah will come. <laughs> what a prophecy uh, is before us. Uh, so that's why we got to stick the days in to end up with the exact day and the exact month. So we know from, you know, the 483 years, we're going to arrive around 32 AD. But with March 14th in view and 173,880 days in the future, we're going to arrive at April 6th, 32 AD. So that's the prophecy that was given. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which was March 14th, 445 BC, 173,880 days in the future, which is exactly 483 years, the Messiah will come. And that places us at April the 6th, 32 AD. On April the 6th, 32 AD, our Lord was sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And he tells them, I want to go over into the village and I want you to loose a colt that's never been ridden and I want you to bring him to me. And of course, we know from Luke chapter 19, uh, verse number 30, loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that went 
were sent on their way and found it even as he said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, sure enough, the owners came out and said, Hey, what are you doing with our donkey? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, as he, as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if thee should hold their peace, the, even the stones would immediately cry out. So that is the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel chapter number nine. That the Lord would come. And that's why when we get down into Luke chapter 19, verse number uh, 41, the Lord says some very sobering, sobering words. As he approached the city, our Lord began to weep. He began to weep. And he said, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and shall compass thee round about and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon the other. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Our Lord is weeping because he knows. Even though Daniel chapter 9 foretold this very day that they would not see it. He knew that when he got down off that mountain, excuse me, and as he had come through that eastern gate, as they began to sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Pharisees immediately rebuked them. He knew what would happen. And as you know the story, he, he comes in through the eastern gate. He goes straight to the temple. Why did he go to the temple? Well, that's another Bible study. But he was coming to restore the glory back to the temple. And when he got there, they had turned his house into a den of thieves. And he began pitching tables. And he began throwing out the money changers. The following Thursday, he was arrested. And the day after, he was nailed to an old wooden cross. If thou hadst known this thy day, the time of thy visitation. This is referred to as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
And then in verse number 26, and after three score and two weeks, that again is 483 years. And after 483 years, the Messiah will be cut off. So it was prophesied. He would come, what day he would come, how he would come, and that he would be cut off. Not for himself, but for us. That means that there remains, if you take 490 years and you subtract 483 years, how many years remain in Daniel's prophecy? Seven. Seven years remain. The clock stopped ticking when the kingdom and the king was rejected. The clock will start ticking again. Okay. The clock will start ticking again, according to Daniel, and this is another study, when a covenant is made with the Antichrist, which is what we call the tribulation period. That's why we refer to the tribulation period as Daniel's 70th week. So Daniel's 70th week has not been fulfilled yet. Now, 69 of them weeks were fulfilled and culminated with the crucifixion. But the 70th week is still yet to be fulfilled. Down in verse 27, and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's referring to the Antichrist. And when he confirms it, and in the midst of the week, he will cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he will make it desolate. Even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So see, prophetically, all of this stuff should have flowed. Just as we've been talking about, as we rightly divide the word of God, all of this stuff should have just flowed along. You know. The Lord should have come. He should have presented himself on this day, 483 years, April 6, 32 AD. The children of Israel should have recognized him as their Messiah, would have accepted the kingdom offer at Pentecost, and then Daniel's 70th week would have rolled, rolled on. And at the end of that week, the second coming would happen. The same thing that we've been studying in the book of Acts. So this is what we are celebrating today. We are celebrating Palm Sunday, the day that our Lord sat with his disciples, came down through the Eastern Gate, fulfilling Daniel chapter number 9 to the very day, presenting himself as the Messiah to the nation of Israel. But he was cut off, but not for himself. He was cut off so that the sins committed by the nation under the Old Testament could be forgiven. 
so that he could offer them the New Testament in his blood. That's the purpose of why Jesus came on Palm Sunday so many years ago for you and me. So there's so many other things we could talk about. Uh, I've got so many notes, and maybe we'll follow up on them throughout the week about when Jesus came in, why did he go straight to the temple? Because you remember years before, the glory had departed from the nation of Israel. It was that Shekinah glory that followed the children of Israel in the desert. He was that glory. So maybe we can work in some of that in the week to come. But anyway, God bless you guys. I hope that you celebrate a wonderful Palm Sunday. And it's so good to see so many of you. I love you and I'm praying for you during this time as we're just hunkering down. I don't know about you, but I've been spending a lot of time just in the Word of God. Just refocusing my soul on what God is doing. Good to see you, Terry and Otis. God bless you. Uh, Judy and Sylvia and, and Scott. I appreciate you guys. Just spend this time getting in the Word of God. Studying the Word of God. Seeing what it says for us. And uh, I love you. I appreciate you tuning in today. I pray that you have an awesome Lord's Day as we celebrate Palm Sunday and knowing going forward what God has in store for each and every one of us. God bless you.